Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. A few revivals open with me to the book of Isaiah, the gospel according to Isaiah, chapter 9. In a moment, I'll read verses 2 through 7. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. Let me just remind us for a moment, just before I read. What a privilege it is to have God's word, to hold it in our hands, to read it, to open it, to understand it. Do you realize the gift that God has given to us in his word? Do you realize we can open God's word and and get a glimpse and an insight into the very mind of God, into the very heart of God? That he has not kept that away from us, but that he would give that to us? We come, we open God's word week in, week out. We read it week in and week out. I seek to preach it week in and week out. And so let's not forget the gift that God has given to us in his word. What a beautiful gift it is. So let's read it together as we seek to know him. Would you stand with me as I read out of reverence and respect for God's word? Isaiah chapter 9 beginning in verse 2 through verse 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
May your truth, O Lord, be planted deep in us to shape and fashion us more and more into the likeness of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. There are certain events in life that are impossible to stop. Certain things happen to you, to your loved ones, to your family, to your friends, that you are tempted to say and to think, if I had the opportunity to stop that, I would have. We are often confronted with our inability as we live in a fallen, cursed, sin-laden, and broken world to try to lift the curse, to try to perfect what is imperfect, to try to make holy what is unholy, to try to fix what is broken, to try to control what you can't control, to try to purify the impure, to try to make the crooked straight. We can't do it. No matter how hard we try, no no matter how much time and effort we put into it, we cannot change the fallen world we live in no matter how hard we try. The stories are endless. Heartbreak after heartbreak, tragedy after tragedy, hardship after hardship, sorrow after sorrow, grief upon grief. The cancer that ravages your little child's body and causes them to waste away, wanting to choke the life out of this little life. The mind of a parent who no longer recognizes your face and doesn't remember your name. The family member that you love, hooked up to life support, unconscious and hanging on by a bare thread. A sudden accident that leaves a husband without a wife and little children without a mom. Those are just a few of the stories, right? In fact, I had thought about a lot more, in all honesty, that I edited out because I didn't want anyone to think I was singling them out. But the problem, as I thought about it, as I thought about those things that I took out of the sermon, that I said, I'm not going to mention these because they might hit too close to home. Guess what? They didn't just hit one person. They hit a whole bunch of people. You know why? Because the heartbreak, the sorrow, the grief is widespread. It's everybody. (laughs) Those that I chose this morning, if that's your life, it's by mere coincidence. (laughs) It's not because I'm thinking of anyone in particular at the moment. But let's be honest. You've known the heartbreak. You've been there. You've had things in your life, things right now, countless things perhaps, that if you had the chance, or if I had the chance, 
to stop, to fix, to change? We would. And it wouldn't even take thinking, would it? It wouldn't even take, it, there would be no hesitation, there would be no pause, there would be no thought, second thought even about it. We would stop them if we could, but we can't. And there lies the crux of the problem we face. We can do some things in life, but we can't do everything. There are certain abilities we can apply to certain situations, but there are other situations where all of the abilities in the world won't change them, won't fix them, won't stop them. In such a world, we start to realize we are powerless. Do you know you are powerless? Are you aware that you lack the strength and power to fix what is broken in your life? How much more than to fix the world? It's humbling to admit that you're weak, that you have no power, no strength, no might. But the Bible says we tend to boast in our power, in our strength, and in our might. Jeremiah Jeremiah 9, 23. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. There it is right there. What's our propensity as people? We tend to boast in our strength. We tend to boast in our power. We tend to boast in our might. Why does the mighty man boast in his might? Because he trusts in his might. He thinks that his might will save him. He relies on his might to relieve whatever comes his way in life. He says to himself, I've got the power, the strength, the ability to overcome all obstacles and all odds. My sheer brute force will see me through this life. Maybe you don't say this, but maybe you say something like this. Someone asks you, how are you doing? Maybe you say, I'm just powering through. Have you ever said that? I'm just powering through. How are you powering through? On your own power and strength? Trusting in yourself? Keeping your mind distracted from all of the heartache you feel in your soul? Are you subtly boasting in your might. We would never say that to one another, would we? But do we sometimes subtly boast in our own might, our own power, our own strength? What's the remedy? What's the solution to our pride and to our self-reliance? What would quiet the soul who is boasting in his or her strength. What's the solution? Let's figure it out. Let's get to the bottom of this. What would you say the solution is? What's going to overcome me boasting in my might? Maybe it's someone stronger, more powerful, who will say, hey, knock it off. Stop it. You're boasting in your own might. What quiets our soul in boasting in our own strength 
is a child, a weak, helpless babe. What can he do? He is seemingly insignificant, powerless, ignorant, fragile, and finite. Do we lose the sight of the irony in Isaiah 9? A light has shined over people who walk in darkness. Who has the ability to produce such a light? The people then are expressing this great joy. They're rejoicing. Who is able to give this kind of joy? Why are they joyful? Notice it's because the war or the battle has been won. Boots of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, garments rolled in blood, used as fuel for the fire. This is no place for a child. Keep children away from these things. Shield them from the horror of the darkness, from the horror of misery, from the horror of war and battle. But this child comes to address all of those horrors and meet them head on to relieve all of these horrors. And that is why his name is called Mighty God. The child is not merely a child. The child is not merely a king, but with this facet of the divine name attributed to the child, we are launched into the transcendent and unapproachable light of God. The child does not possess the might of God. It is not as if God has given him some of his power as is necessary. Here, kid, you're going to need some power when you live your life. No, the child bears the title of the Lord God Almighty. He is the omnipotent God. His strength cannot be measured. His power is beyond our comprehension. Jesus is the mighty God. And while we focus on his might, his power, his strength, or his ability, this term here, as used in Isaiah, carries with it military connotations. Specifically, so in the context of Isaiah 9, it is military might. This mighty God ensures military victory and success. If we're to put it another way, the Lord is a warrior. And to connect this idea with the previous title, Wonderful Counselor, Jesus is both the military strategist whose wisdom devised the plan, the divine plan of salvation, and at the same time, he is the mighty warrior who accomplishes, fulfills, and executes the plan by the power of his awesome might. And so, if Jesus is the mighty God, what does he do? And in seeing what he does, how do we find great encouragement and hope for our lives? To answer these questions, again, I'm going to call upon the whole book of Isaiah and a few other passages from the Old Testament to help fill out this picture of Jesus as the mighty God. So, Jesus as the mighty God, what does he do? Well, number one, you can follow along in your outline if that's helpful. Number one, Jesus is the mighty God who defeats his foes. Jesus is the mighty God who defeats his foes. Do you remember hearing them sing? The Israelites were gathered on the shore of the Red Sea. They had just experienced the miraculous, the amazing. They had seen the water split in two. 
they had walked through the water with a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right. They walked through on the dry land. They reached to the other side. The Egyptian army was hot on their heels. The water came crashing down, burying those Egyptians in a watery grave. And do you remember the song? The song that the Israelites were singing there at the shore. The song as they had experienced both the salvation of God, but seen also the judgment of God. They sang, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. It served as a reminder to what the Lord had promised them through Moses in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Great instructions is that for battle, right? The Lord is going to fight for you. All you got to do is be silent. Can you do that? Can you be silent? Can you not do anything for a second? Let the Lord fight? We lose sight of the fact that the Lord is a warrior. He fights for his people. And his fighting is directed at his enemies, his foes. These are real enemies. They are those who are against him and his ways and his word. And they look awful mighty. His enemies, his foes, they look strong and powerful. They look as if they are undefeatable and indefatigable, which is untiring. Like the Pharaoh and his army, like that group that had chariots. Like Israelites would have been fighting tanks with sticks. They had numbers you wouldn't believe. They were a great horde. They had chosen, skillful, tried, and tested officers leading the army into battle to ensure the outcome and secure victory. But this was no match for the warrior God. Isaiah uses this term again, mighty, in Isaiah 42, 13. Look at that with me. Isaiah 42, verse 13. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Here, this name Yahweh is attached again to mighty. Yahweh goes out like a mighty man. It's, a, again, a military scene. He stirs up his zeal like a warrior preparing himself to go into battle. He cries aloud with shouts. The war cry goes out to show his devotion and his commitment to the fight. And then he shows himself mighty against his foes. How does he do that? By defeating his foes. It's not as if he just flexes his muscles, 
showing his enemies how strong he is. No, he overcomes them. He overthrows them. The seed of the woman bruises, crushes the seed of the serpent. He shows them his might by completely and utterly defeating them. All who are against Christ and against Christ's people will be defeated. They will not prevail. Does Jesus have enemies? Does Jesus have enemies? Now, think about that. Does Jesus have enemies? When you read the Bible, I think you can only come to one conclusion. Yes, Jesus does have enemies. Hold that up now to your life for a moment. Do you have enemies? Jesus had enemies. Do you have enemies? Who would be your enemies? Those who are against Christ. Those who are against his ways. Those who are against his word. Not that we're necessarily going out looking for enemies. I need some enemies. I need to find some. I know they're out there. I got to find them. If you follow Christ, if you follow his ways, if you follow his word, there will be enemies. There will be those who are against you. And there's some comfort in knowing that those enemies will not, do not prevail. They will not win. How do I know? Well, look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of of lords. In the end, Christ, Christ triumphs over all, and we will triumph with him as he is the mighty God who defeats all of his foes and so all of our foes. Number two, Jesus is the mighty God who saves the fallen. Jesus is the mighty God who saves the fallen. Have you ever heard that saying, Oh, how the mighty have fallen? You know where that comes from? It's actually, it actually comes from God's word. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25. David is lamenting the death of Saul and Jonathan, and he says this, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Saul had set him up, set himself up as this mighty man. 
Remember, he's Saul of Gibeah. Gibeah means mighty, strong. Now, Saul, Jonathan, the mighty have fallen. Jesus says the mighty God, though, never falls, never falters. While mighty men fall, the mighty God never does. And we see a progression here. When the mighty God defeats his foes, he is also saving those who are his. Saving fallen men who have put their trust in him. The mighty God is not a cold, callous, and hard-hearted warrior who has become indifferent to the atrocities of the world. He is compassionate, loving, gracious, and merciful. We do not only need his might to fight for us, but we need his might to save us. Our own might can't save us. Our own strength and power is unable to move us towards salvation and life with God. But the mighty God is powerful to save. In fact, turn over to the book of Zephaniah towards the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. We looked at these verses a few weeks ago, but here they come to us again. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will what? Who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Jesus Christ did not give up on you. He didn't think you weren't worth his might and power. No, it's by his might that he saves you, rescues you, draws you to himself. What mighty and strong love is this? Love that cannot be resisted. Love that when you know it, you would never dare think of resisting it. How tenacious is the love of the mighty God toward us. Oh, love that will not let us go. This is the mighty God who saves the fallen. And number three, Jesus is the mighty God who secures the faithful. Jesus is the mighty God who secures the faithful. Jesus promises to those who have put their faith in him, those who follow him, those who are his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And what? No one will snatch them out of my hand. The faithful sheep are completely secure in the hand of the good shepherd, the mighty God. Knowing security in him, and having this assurance from him. How do we respond to this mighty God who secures us, the faithful? We'll look at Isaiah chapter 10. Go back to Isaiah chapter 10. Verses 20 and 21. Isaiah 10, 20 and 21. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to who? 
to the mighty God. What do the faithful do? The faithful that have been secured by this mighty God, they will lean on the Lord. They do not lean on their own understanding. They do not lean on their own power and might as if they are going to stand up according to their own power. They do not presume to think they can make their own path and make that path straight, but they trust in the Lord. They trust in the mighty God with all of their hearts. They lean on the mighty Lord. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never desert you. He will never think you are not worth his time and effort. He will uphold you and sustain you and bless you by his omnipotent and righteous right hand. All hail the mighty God. Why is it then that this mighty God is nailed to a cross of wood? How is it that the mighty God would have all of his might and all of his strength drained from his body as he hung there suffering, bleeding, and dying? How is it that the mighty God finally was brought to the point where he could no longer lift up his head and so bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Is this the mighty God that you would serve? Is this the mighty God who would prevail over all his enemies? Is this the mighty God that you would depend upon for your salvation? Is this the mighty God on whose strength you rely? When it looked like the mighty God had no ounce or drop of strength left in him, when it looked like the mighty God had been emptied of all of his might, that is when he was the mightiest. It was through the weakness and the humiliation of the cross that Christ showed himself to be the mighty God. There is no other way to know him to be the mighty God than through his death and through his resurrection. Was it not at the cross where Christ defeated his foes? He triumphed over Satan, over sin, over death, over the grave. Was it not at the cross where the mighty God saved the fallen? The word of cro the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Is it the mighty God? Is it not the mighty God bearing our sins in his body? on that tree so that he might bring us to God? And was it not at the cross where the mighty God secures the faithful? So that we would say, but far be it from us to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is where the mighty God showed all of his might. There it was put on display. My security is in the cross. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world no longer has power over me. The world no longer calls the shot. The world no longer exercises its might in my life. I am a new creation in Christ, secured by the mighty God himself. No one can take this life from me, for I live the life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
The mighty God we serve is none other than the crucified and risen Lord. He is the mighty God who has done great things for us. And so rightly and deservingly and truthfully we proclaim, holy is his name. Do you believe that Jesus is the mighty God? This is where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> Do you believe that Jesus is the mighty God? And if you do, what does that look like in your day-to-day -day life? So we could say, we could say yes, I, I believe in the mighty God. I believe Jesus is the mighty God. But does that make any difference in how you live? Does it make any difference in remember those situations that you can't stop and you can't control? Those things that you wish were different, those things that you wish you could change if you had the chance? What happens when Jesus is the mighty God in those circumstances? His might is so great and so powerful that he is able to raise the dead to life. His might is so great and so powerful he is able to cause the blind to see. His might is so great and so powerful he causes the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the unbelieving to believe. And believing in the mighty God means that sometimes with all those situations that we can't fix, all the situations that we can't control, we have to hold up our hands, admit we do not have the power to fix this world. We do not have what it takes to make everything right. But we know the one who does. And we know the one who will. Because there's coming a day when all that is wrong will be made right. When all that is broken will be fixed. When all that is coming unraveled and undone will be done up again. Behold, the mighty God is making all things new. So, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. 
But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. To the mighty God, who is able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think, to you we give our lives. We entrust ourselves to you and to you completely. We need the mighty God in our lives still. We need the crucified and risen Savior. We need this good news of the gospel. So let us believe it again today. If there is someone here who hasn't believed it, may this be the day that they believe it for the very first time where they give themselves to Christ and say, I've been boasting in my might. I've been thinking I can fix things. Or at least if I couldn't fix things, I could ignore them. But that today they would say, I need to put my faith in the mighty God who loved me and gave himself for me on the cross. And they would find forgiveness of their sin. They would f find the power of sin and death defeated. They would find new life new love, new hope, glory in Christ. May we know this and cling to this and hold on to these things today, those who are your sheep. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.